I recently read about a church that had a prayer room that nobody went into, especially the men, wouldn't touch it. And the church leaders kind of wondered what was going on until they started to notice the decor of the room. They'd painted it lavender and had scented candles and pillows and Kleenex everywhere. So they sort of thought, well, maybe this is the problem. So they redecorated it with swords and tomahawks and (laughs) Celtic banners. And suddenly the guys wanted to go into the prayer room. And it turned out it was more popular with the women, too, because apparently nobody likes lavender and scented candles. Now, my point is not to provoke a lot of emails about how sexist that story sounds, but to say that I think that the second way they decorated that room was closer to the heart of prayer. Prayer is not soft or sedate. Prayer is an adventure. It's like riding a really big wave when you're surfing. It is a battle where we engage with the God who defeats the forces of evil. Sometimes you'll hear church people refer to their prayer time as a, quote, quiet time. I have never liked that phrase, especially in college when my quiet times used to get real quiet because I'd fall asleep. But prayer should not put us to sleep. It should wake us up. Now, it's true, yeah, prayer is meant to comfort us when we need it. But that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to prayer. To use prayer just for comfort is like going to Canlis and ordering a side salad. You're kind of missing the main event. So I want to talk about, for the next couple weeks, I want to do a sermon series called Dangerous Prayers. Now, dangerous is not a word we normally associate with praying, but I think that's because we don't really understand prayer. And because we have domesticated Jesus. We have turned the lion of the tribe of Judah into a house cat. Someone who comforts us and affirms us, which he does. But the American Jesus rarely challenges, rarely inspires, rarely calls us to an adventure. But Jesus is anything but sedate. I mean, he drove the money changers from the temple. He challenged the powers that be. He conquered death. Jesus is the God who is dangerously good. So for the next few weeks, I want to talk about some prayers that are dangerous, especially to our sense of comfort and ease. Prayers that will rock our world and give us an adventure. And I want to start with the prayer, Lord, use me. That is a dangerous prayer. It's what what Isaiah prayed. It's what Mary prayed. And their lives were never the same. And our lives will never be the same if we pray that prayer. For starters, if we pray that, our lives are going to get harder. Isaiah had to preach to people who persecuted him, eventually sawed him in half. Mary had to give birth in a barn, be accused of uh, being an adulteress, and eventually watch her son die on a cross. Just truth in advertising, the use me prayer, will almost certainly make our lives harder, at least sometimes. But the second way this prayer will change our lives is that life will also get bigger. And we'll have an adventure, just like riding a really great wave when you're surfing. And you know what, I think all of us are just longing for this. I think we're just longing for this. You know, our culture tells us all the time to play it safe because what we prize as a culture is comfort and ease and safety. In fact, do you know the name of the best-selling chair? Lazy Boy. (laughs) Says it all, doesn't it, right? Not Risky Boy. (laughs) Not Adventure Boy. Lazy Boy. I mean, do you want to be a Lazy Boy? I don't. Besides, there's no such thing as absolute safety anyway. Do you know that 500,000 Americans go to the emergency room every year with injuries they got from falling out of bed? Right? Bed is a dangerous piece of furniture. Stay away from it. Right? 
get out of it and go have an adventure because you know what? It is not very cool bragging rights to say I got hurt falling out of bed. I mean, at least have a cool story if you get hurt, right? I think deep down, we do not want to play it safe. We want to be like that guy riding the wave. We want a life that takes us out of ourselves and our problems and puts us on an adventure. An adventure that gives us a sense of significance. That it matters that we are on this planet. That there is a point to us. That we are not just biological goo, but that we are sons and daughters of the king called to partner with him in his rescue mission to this world. Sometimes when I try to hug my five-year-old daughter, she'll run away from me, which I try not to take personally. And as she's running away, sometimes I'll say, well, what is the point of you if not to hug me? Right? And I hope I'm not giving her an existential crisis, but that's kind of a good question. What is the point of you? Do you know? There's a billboard I just heard about in Los Angeles that says, life is short, have an affair. And it's advertising an online affair hookup site, only in L.A., right? Now, the problem with that billboard is not so much the have an affair part, which appeals to our desire for pleasure. That is a problem. But I think maybe even more is that phrase, life is short, which is trying to appeal to our sense of desperation. That our time here is not, is pretty brief, and so we got to make it count, right? And that billboard tries to capture that sense of desperation in order to get us to do something destructive. Life is short. Last week, I actually managed to catch my five-year-old daughter and hug her against her will. And we were sort of having this cool kind of father-daughter time, and suddenly she started to, to laugh. And she was looking at my wife in my wedding picture, which was taken 14 years ago, and she said, oh, Daddy, you look so funny with no wrinkles and hair. <laughs> that was the end of our special moment. It ended right there. Just a little reminder, life is short. We're all getting older, so have an adventure. And ask God to use you in his rescue mission to this planet. And when we do that, the third way that this prayer will change our lives is our problems begin to seem small. Because our world just gets so much bigger. You know, it's interesting to me that the Bible says that Isaiah's call came in the year that King Uzziah died. Uzziah had been king for 52 years. And when he died, there was political turmoil. The economy was in shambles. But God doesn't say to his people, you know what? The, the, the economy is a mess, so why don't you just curl up in the fetal position and hunker down in your lazy boy? Now he says, go, rise up, come on. Because he knows that when our world gets bigger, because we're part of what God's doing, our problems seem smaller. I know of a man who got laid off, was having a real hard time finding a job. So he decided to build houses with Habitat for Humanity while he looked for a new position. And he did that for, for over six months. And finally, he, he got a new job. And part of what impressed the new employer was his ability to find meaning even in hard times. Because they thought that as a company, they were going to face some tough times. And they could use a man like him who didn't retreat in fear, but found an adventure in the middle of, of difficulty. Plus, now he's got these great friendships with the families who live in the houses that he built, and he feels like he's made a difference. Now is not the time for God's people to shrink back in fear. Now is the time for God's people to become an army that pushes back on fear. And when we do that, that expands our world, which makes our problems seem small, because like riding a really big wave, we are being carried by a power that is far greater than us. And we know that God is real, and that he is there for us, and that he loves us. Now, some of you might be asking, well, okay, say I pray the use me prayer. How do I know how God wants to use me? How do I figure out what my call is? 
Well, this is why it's so important that we learn to hear God's voice. And, and Greg Milliken gave a great sermon on that two weeks ago, and I'd encourage you to watch the podcast. But let me add a couple of things when it comes to trying to figure out what God wants us to do. A couple of things that might be helpful. One, ask yourself this question. What makes you sad, mad, and glad? Because at the intersection of sad, glad, and mad, that is often where God wants to use us. So if what makes you sad, for instance, are children who don't have adults in their life, and if what makes you mad is injustice and loneliness, and if what makes you glad is when someone says to you, you've changed my life forever, well, then maybe what God would want from you is that you would, to, how he would want to use you is to mentor youth. What makes you sad, glad, mad? Second, the author Frederick Buechner says that our call in life lies at the intersection where our deep joy meets the world's deep need. So if the world's deep need is doctors in a leper colony, but you hate it, you've missed it because that's not your deep joy. But on the other hand, if your deep joy is watching deodorant commercials, you've kind of probably missed it too because that's not the world's deep need. Though I suppose a case could be made. Where does your deep need intersect, where, where, where does the world's deep need intersect with your deep joy? That might be where God wants to use you. And then the third thing about figuring out how God wants to use you is once you've prayed the use me prayer, open your eyes and start looking for the opportunities he's going to send your way. And don't duck those opportunities when they come. I have a friend who'd been praying the Lord use me prayer for a couple of weeks. And one day he was out golfing and he was having a great day. I mean, it was so good that he actually had some of the balls he started with by the 18th hole. It's never happened to me. Right? And as he was coming up to the 18th tee, he was thinking, just one more good hole, just one more, and I've got this great day. And the guy he was golfing with was, was uh, up first. And just before he hit the ball, this guy turns to my friend and he starts talking. And it turns out this guy was having financial problems, work problems, problems in his marriage, and he's just kind of going on and on. And my friend was thinking, come on, man, come on, you know, just one more good hole. I mean, I'm getting cold, man, come on, right? And then, he, then this question popped into my friend's head. What's more important? Listening to a man whose world has fallen apart or hitting a good drive? And my friend thought, well, that's a hard question. <laughs> and then he realized that he had been, you know, praying the use me prayer for a while. And so he set the golf aside and, and started listening to this guy, had a great conversation. Where he was able to really be a friend to this man and really give him some encouragement. And feel like he was being used by God in this man's life. And then my friend stepped up to the tee and shanked the ball so far to the right, he never found it. But he didn't care. Because he'd been part of what God was doing in this man's life. Now, he'd been praying the use me prayer, but he almost missed the opportunity. He didn't see it because he was kind of preoccupied with something else. Pray the prayer, keep your eyes open for the opportunities that come your way for God to use you, and don't duck them when they come. And that could, that could happen in a lot of places. You know, a great way to be used by God would be to sign up for that divine makeover project in the spring. Another way would be to ask God to use you in your job. I know several men who have, who have done this. They said, Lord, use me in my career. And now they see their business as the tool God wants them to use to build the kingdom of God. So they do things like whenever they have a new store, they locate it in an economically depressed area to bring employment. And they look at their employees not as just people to get the job done, but really that they are the stewards of these people's gifts. And they want to help their employees discover their gifts and become everything that they were created to be in Jesus. Well, these men are on an adventure with God through their business, and they're building his kingdom. I know an elderly woman who was homebound. She volunteered to call people in her church to see if they would teach Sunday school. 
But after a while, she started asking them questions about their lives and ended up hearing all kinds of pain that people were in. So she started this kind of prayer ministry. And now she not only asked them if they want to teach Sunday school, but she asked them what's going on and how she can pray for them. And, and now suddenly she doesn't feel homebound anymore because she is part of God's rescue operation. And people are saying to her, thank you. Thank you so much. You're making a difference in my life. Or I think of people in this church like Jim and Lynn Pelton, who I've mentioned before. A couple of years ago, Lynn heard about the problems of amputee victims from the Civil War in Sierra Leone. And those stories just really bugged her. So she started praying, Lord, is this how you want to use me? And, and she, for a long time, she didn't hear anything. Nothing happened. But she kept praying and praying. And finally one night, she heard God's voice in her mind say, this is what I've prepared you for. Will you go? And she knew that, and she knew that this was going to make her life harder if she said yes. But even so, she still had this play, sense of complete peace that this was the right thing to do. So she told her husband Jim about it. And he said, all right, I'm in too. Let's go. So now Jim and Lynn have, have gone to Sierra Leone many times and have helped many, many amputees get a new life. And they are loving it. They've seen miracles. Everything from a car that was always breaking down but always broke down right in front of someone who could fix it, right? Everything from that to Jim meeting this 19-year-old uh, former Muslim man who, who they now are supporting and helping this guy get job training. And this young man is so grateful he's changed his last name to match Jim and Lynn's. Which for Jim is great because he doesn't have a son to carry on his name, and now he does. I mean, he's in Africa, but he's got one, right? And they, they told me this one time, they were, they were trying to get some land in Sierra Leone to build a clinic to help these amputees. But in order to get this land, they had to go talk to a land management officer, but he was only available one day a week. So they went to the office, and the line was just giant. And they waited for hours and hours and hours in the line, and the line absolutely did not budge. Not one, one inch. Well, while they were there, they met a young woman named Juliet who was really ill with malaria but was afraid to go to the doctor. And in conversation, they explained that Lynn was actually a nurse and could give Juliet an infusion of medicine. Well, they kept waiting, waiting. Meanwhile, the land manager, even though there's this line, he just, he just finally leaves. Right? So Jim and Lynn kind of go back and they're kind of discouraged because they, you know, they didn't get anywhere with that. But they told Juliet that they would come back the next day to give her the medicine. So they came back to the office the next day. Place was totally different, completely empty, because it wasn't the day to see this official. They asked for Juliet, but she'd gotten worse overnight, so they'd taken her to a clinic. Well, just as they were leaving to go find her, the land manager just happened to poke his head out of his office, looked at him and said, hey, weren't you two here yesterday? Don't know how he noticed them. But he said, weren't you here yesterday? And they said, yeah. And he said, well, come on in. We can talk today, even though it wasn't his official day to do his job. Long story short, they, they finally were able to get a great piece of land, better than they hoped for, right on the beach, which is just great. And so now they're able to build that clinic. And then later on that day, they found Juliet gave her her medicine. By helping Juliet, they ended up helping themselves get the land that they needed. And Jim and Lynn said that's just one example of all kinds of ways that God seemed to work in seemingly impossible circumstances and work in ways that seemed too well coordinated to be just coincidence. And Lynn said to me, this is my spiritual food. I just love this. And they both said an interesting phrase, this has set us free. Because the stuff we used to worry about just seems so small now. And their friends here in Bellevue are always saying to Jim and Lynn, tell us another story about Sierra Leone. Come on, tell us another story. Because it makes God seem so real. And, and because all of those Bellevueans are longing for an adventure. And they're having one vicariously through Jim and Lynn. But it's cooler if you have your own, right? When folks pray the use me prayer, they go on an adventure with God 
that makes their problems seem small. You see, if we have a small Jesus, we will pray small prayers. And if we pray small prayers, we will have small lives. But if we pray big, dangerous prayers, then we will have big, adventurous lives. So will you start praying in 09, Lord, use me, and then open your eyes for the opportunities that he's going to send your way. A pastor named Erwin McManus tells a story about sending his son to youth camp. And his son was really young, so they sent him to a Christian camp, figuring that he wouldn't hear all the ghost stories there that scare kids. Well, unfortunately, the Christian camp, they talked about demons and the devil and hell nonstop to these eight-year-olds, right? So when his son got home, he was just terrified. And the first night he said, Daddy, Daddy, don't turn out the lights. I'm so afraid. And then he said, Daddy, would you pray that I would be safe? And McManus said, I could just feel the warm blanket style of Christianity beginning to wrap around him. Safety, safety, safety. So McManus said to his son, Aaron, I will not pray that you will be safe, but I will pray that God will make you dangerous, so dangerous that demons will flee when you walk into the room. And his son said, okay, but pray that I would be really, really dangerous. <laughs> Have you come to a place in your life where you are willing to stop asking God to make you safe and instead ask God to make you a dangerous follower of Jesus? Because the world, and especially right now in our culture, in our economy, the world needs you to live your most heroic life. And you need to live your most heroic life. You see, as a Christian, I believe in life after birth. Don't you? And it took the choir a while to get that, but that's all right. <laughs> and absolutely nobody wants their tombstone to say, well, at least he didn't get hurt. Right? That's kind of lame. So will you pray that dangerous prayer, Lord, use me, and you will go on an adventure with God, and your problems will start to seem really small.